Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. I'm here with my guy, Mike Renner, in Cincinnati, ready to rip it up on our mailbag episode during free agency. We've got a ton of questions. If you want your question answered, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and drop your question in there. We are backlogged, but we will get there. If it's 2023, maybe it's 2023, but we will get there. Uh, we also have interviews with UCF's Tay Gowan, cornerback Tay Gowan, and also UCF's Richie Grant. A little UCF action on the mailbag episode. Let's get it. Mike, I've been thinking a lot about the summer, you know, two for one drafts probably drops to one episode per week. It's going to be, how can you not? It's going to be just an absolutely insane summer. People are going to be vaccinated. Ohioans can get vaccinated. If you're 16 plus years old by March 29th, we're going to get vaccines rolling. Bars are going to open up. It's going to be quite the treat. And I'm thinking about two for one drafts. The guests, man. Mm-hmm. We got to get some really good guests on. You're going to push for freaking Brady Quinn to offer his analysis on the 2022 quarterback class. I don't want that. He'll come hang. I don't want Brady Quinn's analysis, half assed analysis on just the Notre Dame guys. Okay. okay. What Brady I want. in the work. Don't what you? I don't want. Brady Quinn's work. Definitely. In June? Okay. What Let's I want. Ahead. What I want is like, I want DJ Wangalele's dad. We got to lock that up Everyone for the knows. summer. Dave, producer Dave, we got to lock hot, that up for the summer. He's a hot commodity right now. We're going to get his ass. Yeah. You know, I was also thinking about the St. Brown's dads. No, St. Brown's dad. Thinking about a lot of guys' dads. I, I want dads on the pod. Yeah. I want dads on the pod. But like, Whose dad should we get on the pod? Exactly. So I'm, I'm opening it up to the listeners. Yeah. What guests should we get? I want fun guests. You know, I want, like, who backed up Trevor Lawrence in high school? Like, I'm, 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 I want him on. <laughs> I want his dad, maybe. I don't know. Like, I think we need fun guests on. Definitely yeah. send in. My Twitter DMs are open. Drop it in the YouTube comments. Who the hell should we get on the pod in the summer? I want fun guests only. Joe Burrow's dad. Joe Burrow's he was a dad. Coach. Dude, dude, Gardner Minshew's dad. He had some fame a little we need bit. You get Mel Kuyper. Although I think he goes into hibernation over the summer, maybe. You don't see him. Kuyper's dad? Just, just Kuyper. <laughs> um, you had a story you wanted to rip off the top. Oh, yeah, yeah. This one, it's not great. I probably shouldn't tell it, but I'm <laughs> going to tell I kinda it. I kind of like the story. This is um, another dating story, getting deeper into the, the, the psyche here. Because people were saying, Last time I told them that like they feel bad for me about my dating life. Not I do out. too. It's like, no, I bring this shit on myself. Like I do these dumb things that then cost me uh, down the line. And this is one of those. If you guys will recall my, uh, this was last summer, my ex-girlfriend beat me up or whatever. Um, <laughs> you guys remember when I had the black guy on the podcast? That's that right. That was that. And so this was the first girl I started talking to after all of that madness. Um, things are going well. And about a month or so in, um, oh, so to preface this, after all that madness happened with my ex-girlfriend, I get tested for an STI, STD, whatever. I, I'm, I grew up on calling it STDs. And it's jogged my memory because of the Daniel Jeremiah thing, the STI thing. Strength, last toughness, intensity? No, it was strength, toughness, and in- instincts. Oh, instincts. That's, that's, that's okay. the real STI. That's the that's STI, the STI I've got. <laughs> yeah, that's the STI we've Test me got for that. spades here. So I got tested, negative, clean, Never, never had one. Money, so <laughs> Jesus, cash. Um, so I'm talking to this girl, and it's going well. But then it starts. I start to have this burning sensation while I pee, and it's going on for about two weeks. And I haven't told anybody, but it's legitimately every time I go to the bathroom, I'm saying "ow" out loud. Oh, I'm like man. "ow, ow, ow." Um, Yikes! I tell my 
dad obviously at some point he's a doctor he's yeah, like you have to go to the hospital that's not like no one has just a burning sensation when you pee without something being wrong that you need to fix so i'm like oh okay yeah that actually makes sense people just don't have burning piss and so i go to the doctor and that's this was the exact same point the reason i went to the doctor is because that's when i also got pink eye oh if I you'll that. recall on the podcast last summer Black eye, pink eye. Black eye, then pink eye, burning sensational IP. It was a it was a bad summer for me, for your boy. And so I go there, go to the doctor. He's like, you know, you most likely have chlamydia. And I'm like, ah, really? I, I don't think so. Like that seems really, really far fetched. You're educated. He's opinion. like, he's like, are you had? <laughs> have you like had sex? I'm like, okay, yeah, I have. But like, really, only one person. Mm -hmm. It only was one person. So I did not think that was a possibility, but he's like, that explains the pink eye. That explains the burning sensational IP. He like convinced me so much there that he gives me the shot for, for chlamydia, zithromycin wow. shot, gives me a shot, convinces me to the point where I leave the hospital and test, test before, test before UTIs, UTI tests all came back negative. I leave the hospital and I'm like, I have to tell this girl, call her up from the parking lot of the hospital like the dumbest man alive and say to her this is on a friday night i'm like and she's like at dinner and i'm like hey i really have something this to is tell where you. you go wrong by the way this is where i went wrong i so, said i really have something to tell you um i just went to the doctor he thinks i have chlamydia i haven't had sex with anyone else since i got tested last but you so and then she's like what are you saying and i'm like I think you probably gave you chlamydia. <laughs> you're, like, the fact that oh you go God. out of your way to blame her off the bat is ridiculous. That was bad. That was on me. Yeah, I like, regret oh, man, that aspect. Like, what happened? Maybe it was me. And she I don't just know. immediately hangs up the phone. And I'm just like. As she should. I'm like, I think I played that wrong in my head. But I didn't know for sure. And then when she stopped talking to me for a, a while after that, I, I realized I'd played that one wrong. Mm -hmm. And then the kicker, it's just a negative for chlamydia. I didn't have it. Let's talk about the doctor first. I know the doctor hung me out to fucking dry. There, I know man. the doctor made maybe the big. It's like, yeah, you have chlamydia. Let me give you the shot. It's like, yeah. whoa, whoa. Let's get some checks and balances here in Cincinnati. That is kind of egregious, man. And you, we talked about dads. So we could bring your dad on, my dad on the pod. Maybe that doctor's we dad. Could give our dad. What's on the girl's some... name? Bring her dad on. Mm. I don't know. Does she know about? Does her dad know about this? We can break that story to him on the podcast. All right, let's get into the freaking mailbag here. So, Enough about people's dads. Enough about the clap, etc. All right, scrolling down here i recently numbered all of the mailbag questions that we do have and man we have a lot we're backed up i think over 100 mailbag questions that shows all the support we're getting on two for one drafts you'd love to see that we're going to continue to answer these through free agency through the draft kind of get to as many as we can um i think we're gonna get through them we're gonna get through them eventually we're gonna get through them eventually we might go five days a week like fuck i mean yeah. if quinn can avoid getting covid we'll have a marathon mailbag 24-hour live stream. Marathon mailbag. I like that. Bring the doctor, all that. All right, number one here. This is from Yo-Yo. It's a prescient one. This is a prescient one. This is from Yo-Yo Bro 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 on the Pittsburgh Prospects. What are your thoughts on Paris Ford and Jalen Twyman from Pitt? Paris is born and raised here, and I think he has the most potential of any safety in the draft. Oh, no. So, so <laughs> you, you have, the Pittsburgh I have the Pro numbers. Day. I have Pittsburgh the Pro Day was yesterday. Would you like to read off yeah, Paris so Ford? To start, on a positive note, Jalen Twyman put up 40 reps on the bench, which I'm pretty sure is like 99th percentile yeah, among defensive tackles. That was huge. That was the first number that was coming out of Pitt. Then Jim Nagy, who I would call a very trusted source when working with NFL scouts and getting Pro Day times and those things, he tweets out these numbers. For Paris Ford, 4-9, 40-yard dash. 
first percentile at 197 pounds yeah. at safety. Yeah. 29 inch vertical, first percentile. 9-2 broad, second percentile. 4-5-3 short shuttle. Second percentile. And then I think my, this might be the worst. Seven, six, five, three cone for Paris oh. Ford. First percentile. Then going to Twyman, obviously had the 40 reps on the bench. I don't know if he was only benching in the offseason, but five, five, one, 40 yard dash, literally zeroth percentile. Eight, eight broad, second percentile. And then eight, second, three cone. Eight, zero, zero, three cone. First percentile. Those two guys, and I had someone reach out recently and say, man, like the fact that they let their agents like the agents let them go, you know, like that they knew they were going to put up some times like these and they still let them run. It was, was rough. Cause that is, they're hanging them out to dry right now. Cause those numbers are circling. Those, those guys are coming off boards for some teams. Yeah. That's undraftable numbers. I am not that athletic. I think I'm still more athletic than Paris Ford. I think I could go out and beat those numbers right now. The beat, the beat Paris Ford challenge should start on like TikTok or something where you just have to beat those are the worst numbers I've ever seen from a draft prospect at safety. That is, like I said, that's undrafted. You can't draft a guy like that. And it, I blame their agents. Yeah, I do too. You can't let those guys work out. I agree. They've done these drills before. And, and if this they is not the first 40-yard dash that Jalen Twyman has run. I yeah. fucking hope. Yeah. And Man. if it is, then I still blame the agents. You know, like they should not be putting anything. You have a hamstring that you pulled a couple weeks ago and you don't test. Sorry. Here's a take. That's what you do. Here's the take. Jalen Twyman goes to that pro day doesn't decide to do any of the drills for whatever reason fucking hamstring yeah. make something up and only puts up 40 reps on the bench he moves up draft boards yeah he literally moves up draft boards there will be media analysts etc like wait a second Jalen Twyman opted out of the 2020 season yeah. obviously been working out a ton in the offs you know in his prep 40 reps on the bench man really like that I'm, I'm gonna get on board with Jalen Twyman maybe move him up a few spots exactly but I will say okay so I wrote in the draft guide here he is doesn't have high-level athleticism or length to make up for his size deficiencies. He is an undersized, unathletic defensive tackle. That's not a good combination when pro profiling to the NFL. So we were low on him before. Paris Ford, I kind of liked his instincts for the position, the way he plays the game. Like, he's an aggressive safety. But, that, again, I will let pro day numbers, when they are that bad, impact my opinion on someone. And I – I don't think that's – like I said, those are really draftable numbers. Those are awful. All right, jumping now, we had two – PFF full-time employees want to get in on the mailbag, and those guys move atop the queue. I'm sorry. sorry. We had to get on the Pittsburgh Pro Day stuff first, but now Andrew Russell, who works on the draft guide, by the way. Yeah. Andrew Russell Amazing is work. Big Amazing. Bengals fan. Big Bengals fan. Same with Quinn, and also does fantastic work for the draft guide. The draft guide doesn't happen without Andrew Russell, full stop. Obviously, Mike Renner gets a lot of the praise, but Andrew Russell is an absolute stud in that regard. His question was, who's a prospect that you swore would be good but wasn't? There's a lot that I thought would be like solid NFL players, but I swore that Henry Anderson coming out of Stanford would not just be like a, a good pro. I thought he was going to be not the next JJ Watt, but I thought he was going to be like Pro Bowl type defensive tackle perennially. Like I just thought he would be much more of an impact pass rusher than he has been because he was ridiculously good at Stanford. Athletic, his athletic testing was through, like he was a very good athlete testing wise coming out of. Stanford back in 2015 and just he's kind of been a guy and I just did not see that being the case after watching him on tape so sadly that's who I'll say I was gonna say you know Hamp Cheevers had some highlight real plays at Boston College where I was like you know what this guy's gonna be damn good oh, but no. there was eventually a time where I was like you know what 
you talked to me a lot about him. I think I learned a lot from you about scouting cornerbacks. And I was like, you know what? Actually, he's probably not going to be good. I'm trying to think of some other ones. I really liked Paul Dawson at a TCU a few years ago. I know he was a big PFF guy as well. I'm kind of scrolling through like previous draft boards and finding names. I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a stud. I love Darius Geis out of LSU. That was when I still felt like yeah. running backs had value. I thought Darius Geis was going to be very good. Um, looking through some of my notes here, who I had. Man, I mean, I thought Royce Freeman, too. Thinking about running backs, I thought Royce Freeman was going really? to be Really? I didn't like Royce Freeman at really? all coming out. Yeah, but. I thought Jakeem Griffin was going to be better. I thought jo- I thought Joe Osman was going to be a lot better. Oh, yeah. Man, but mm. here we are. Oh, you know, I, I really like Dante Pettis, too. I thought Dante Pettis was going to be good. Fuck Dante me. Pettis had a lot of fans. Yeah. But then he's really just, I don't know, he couldn't even see the field. Yeah. Another one of those guys where it's like, why can't? Sometimes you wonder why, if that's. Not necessarily on field when it's a guy off field. who, yeah, definitely off field. We've yeah. talked about development a lot on this pod. I definitely think some of that is off field. All right, this is from John Macri, who's a PFF fantasy analyst. He had a two for one question. Um, let me see. What are your thoughts on Kentucky linebacker Jameen Davis, 85th prospect on the PFF big board, seventh ranked linebacker, but he's getting he is getting first round hype from a lot of people. Do you think he's going to come up boards here? Maybe after a Kentucky pro day, he comes up. What do you think of Jameen Davis? Next question is also about Jameen Davis. Lee Trailer here asks, what are your thoughts on Kentucky linebacker Jameen Davis and how would he fit in Dan Quinn's defense in Dallas? And we've also actually, I think we answered about a Jameen Davis question about two months ago. So listen to the earlier pods, John <laughs> Macri, before you ask your question. I'm kidding. But he's long, athletic. Like we said, in that Kentucky scheme, wasn't asked to do a lot in coverage, but I think you could see him profiling to a better coverage player in the NFL with his level of athleticism. I love the, love the way he attacks against the run. First round's rich for me, but I think he is solidly a day two linebacker. He has a very reminiscent skill set of a Devondre Campbell when he was coming out of Minnesota, obviously went to Atlanta. So that should answer your question about would he fit in Dan Quinn's scheme in Dallas. That would be a bingo. Compare Jameen Davis's coverage ability or coverage potential in the NFL to Micah Parsons. Ooh. Um, I I think Micah Parsons is going to be a better tackler. I think... After that, they both were similarly limited in what they're asked to do in both Penn State and Kentucky. I do think Parsons is a freakier athlete, like even just like getting up to speed. Uh, but I think Jameen might be a little smoother. I don't know. I, I, I do think Parsons is still the better coverage player. I, I, I think that's obviously the question mark with him, but I still think he's going to be very good in that regard. All right. From anonymous six, nine, six, nine, this pod does it all. It can evaluate talent measurables and use data to have the most informed decision-making. What do you guys think about factoring in the human element of teams in terms of chemistry, motivation, coachability, leaders versus followers, and all of the quality, quanti- all of the not quantitative data, so qualitative data that matters in franchise setting. We totally understand with the analytical focus that you can't factor that in, but do you ever try to consider that, or should the the goal be near Moneyball style in terms of team building? I'll I'll start there. This is right up this is you right up my alley. I do. You think, have to interview the guys. I do think it matters a lot more than people give it credit for. Yeah. I think there's a reason why NFL teams and evaluators talk about the interview process at the combine being the most important, and it's not. I think you're looking for. I don't think you're necessarily looking for chemistry as much or i think coachability is really important i think motivation is very important but you're also looking at you know i think coachability speaks to a lot of things like you know your work ethic off the football field how how capable are you of studying a playbook and those different things i do think that matters and i think you have to factor that in and when you see guys bust when you see guys that have this freaky athleticism but never pan out in the nfl 
a lot of the times it is some of that off-field stuff that you can really only pick up in interviews and not necessarily always interviews. Like you can have guys that interview really well, get propped up by agents, but then find out later down the road that they aren't that same type of player. I mean, Jamarcus Russell was drafted number one overall and literally didn't even watch film with the Oakland Raiders. Like yeah. that is a problem. And you, I think you don't necessarily maybe find that out in an interview with Jamarcus Russell, but you find it out after a week. You find it out after two weeks. You hear Kirk Morrison say two weeks in or three weeks in and Jamarcus Russell working with the Raiders, they kind of knew he wasn't the guy. Like, And then obviously tried to make it work and all that stuff. But you find that out after a couple of weeks, and I think that's hard to find out in the interview. Yeah, I think it's similar to kind of what we do in terms of you, try, you want to identify outliers on either end of the spectrum. Yes. Guys who are really unmotivated or really – bad personality wise bad character fits or guys who are like tremendously motivated who think like they're still they're going to do whatever it takes and maybe that's like your special teamers or whatever but like the great locker room guys um now it, it shouldn't impact you that much uh between those two but i do think that the outliers and i've the spectrum still have value our problem pff outside looking in we don't have that kind of access no we really can't know even the interviews we do. That's why I joke about them swaying you. It's still like it's still such a limited glimpse Absolutely. and snapshot of these guys that we're not getting the full picture on. Uh, I, I feel like, though, you can identify some outliers on the positive end with the interviews that I do. Yeah. On the negative end, it's tough because I'm not asking tough questions. Their agents aren't asking me to ask tough questions. It's creating content and those things. But on the positive end, you look at the interview I did with Rashad, with Rashad Weaver. You come out of that saying, oh, wow, this guy of, of the guys I have talked he's to. He's got to put in the work. Yeah, he's got to put in the work, very prepared, what he does on film and those things. I recently talked to one of your guys, Trey Brown of Oklahoma. That's another guy where I came out of that interview. I was like, holy shit, this guy really gets it, really understands you no, know, I think something that stands out for me in an interview is when players speak to their weaknesses. Players will speak to their weaknesses and understand where they can get better. Have that self-awareness to be like, hey, Trey Brown, small. Trey Brown is small. He's like, I'm going to have to win with physicality up front. I have to be able to play in the slot. I have to be able to play special teams. I understand it. There's other guys where you're like, yeah, I'm small, but I can win on the outside. It's like, okay, let's, let's have some self-awareness here. How many wide receivers are 5'10", 175, and actually play on the outside? Zero. You need to be better in the slot. Have that self-awareness. I think self-awareness is something that you can pick up. Caleb Farley was the other one, too. That guy has the juice. You can just tell when he was talking, like, that guy's going to be – he's going to be able to back up his athleticism. Absolutely. He's also a big PFF guy. Farley loves PFF. All right. Now jumping to D. Bo's lost hands. Dwayne Bo's lost hands, I think. That's a a good one. Uh, Love the pod. Is Austin Mom single? I love a woman with an edge. She recently got married, actually, so – but, I mean, I don't think that's ever held her back. The Chiefs, they, the Chiefs need a tone setter for their offensive line. Fisher and Schwartz are both technique guys and both possibly won't be ready. Yeah, they just got cut. <laughs> gone, gone, who can KC get at 31? That's an absolute dog at any line spot. I love absolute dog, by dogs. the way. Dogs. I need dogs. All dogs. I want a guy who wants to smash other guys. <laughs> I like that, too. I honestly do. I think absolute dog. You want to be a brutal in, along the offensive line. Who do you think is a guy? I love that they got Kyle Long. Uh, that describes him. That's mm-hmm. how he played the game when he was with the Bears, when he was with Oregon. Um, Kevin Jenkins, though, if you're talking about dogs uh, at the tackle position, that's who you want yeah. in this class. Like he could fall to the, the Oklahoma State offensive tackle. And if you're also talking about dogs, Landon Dickerson got a little dog in him. Oh, if you're still in need of a center by that time. I also think Derisaw has a little dog in him. Yeah, guys who will be available at 31, though, that ain't going to happen. Fair. 
Fair enough. I think Dickerson, Devin Jenkins at 31 is good. Dickerson wears 69, too. You got to be a dog to wear 69. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like a handful of like plays where Dickerson, or not plays, but like videos of Dickerson when he was hurt, Alabama, like walking up and down the sideline like a monster, like looking for someone to hurt. I don't know what it was, but I think Dickerson, again, just do I don't think Oklahoma he goes day one. Tour Some people have him in like first round mocks. I don't think he ultimately goes day one. I don't see how you can justify that as a head coach unless you're like unless you're chiefs like that's the piece you think mm -hmm. but a guy with who's torn the same acl twice who plays one of the lesser valuable positions in the nfl is just like why take that risk i mean the chiefs though but, to talk about their interior offensive line they just recently like, signed really kyle long just recently signed joe Tooney to the highest paid contract for any guard and apparently the rumors are that they made an offer back to austin Ryder. like they're yeah. really shoring up that interior offensive line but still have obviously obvious holes at off to tackle all right this is from chris mike 23 about texas a&m which former tamu quarterback turned transfer would you have liked to see play this past with this past season's team and would they have made a run in the college football playoff i'll never forgive kevin Sumlin for driving these quarterbacks away kyler murray kenny hill kyle allen tate martell I'll go with Tate Martell because I, uh, if they had Kyler Murray, they'd obviously be in the college football playoff, and I didn't want that. I wanted Notre Dame to yeah. be in college football playoff. So I'm going to go with Tate Martell. That guy played wide receiver for them. They would have been no different. <laughs> wow, so that, that's rude, man. But obviously, he asked me who I wanted. Yeah, right? yeah that's That's true. who I wanted. That's true. I'm not I mean, a Texas I, I would pick, fan. I would pick Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray would have lit it on fire at Texas AM. That would have been sick. And also, Hayes King, shit. I mean, he hadn't even seen it. I don't know. I don't fucking know. Fair Sorry, enough. buddy. Fair that enough. guy, we scout. It's only so much time in the day. It's true. That's why in the summer, man, we're, we're doing fun interviews I'll, I'll, Yeah, maybe in, the, maybe in the fall I'll get you. All right, Ryan Griffin, 82. I interned at Navy in 2019. What were your guys' thoughts on Malcolm Perry going into the 2020 draft? And do you think he can stick on the Finns roster? It's hashtag fun to watch. That's yeah, what he is. absolutely. But 5'9", is not – so people are saying they changed the running back. I think it's where he's changed. Like, that's not still running back size. Like, that's a slot receiver – or slot cornerback. I'm 5'9", 175. That's where you're playing. That's <laughs> where you're playing on NFL football field. There's not a lot of other like if you are a running back, you are a gadget running back. You're not, you know, you're not pass protecting. I've recently dropped so. to under 170 though, I will say. And I think Malcolm Perry's probably a little bit more cut than I am, but I definitely think at 175 pounds, 5'9", trying to run at running back would be tough. Yes. And right. so I I do think maybe that's like he's a multifaceted athlete. That's a talented human being. I wouldn't put it past him to develop into an actual receiver at some point, but I think, I just think they receiver. are listing him at running back right now. So. All right, this is from Dylan Singer. If the Giants get a big-name receiver in free agency, hasn't happened yet. Kenny Galladay could drop at any point. No, he's not. Oh. Quinn Watson. Quinn Bengals. Watson for the Bengals. The Bengals rumor. I saw that video you put out on Twitter replacing the A.J. Green jersey that, with yeah. Galladay. Yeah, just, I just want it known that I said the other day that uh, he might go to the Bengals, and you guys were like, no, he's not going to the Bengals. I'll even stitch a clip in. Kenny Galladay, where do you think – Galladay has the most success if a team does sign him. That's a good question. When a team signs him, not if a team signs him. Bengals. No, not it's, the Bengals. He's not coming. No. <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to, but like the interest is there. So wait, so so if he goes to the Bengals, what do we what happens? We gotta have a bet on this. He goes to the Bengals, you get something. I'll go, I'll give you a 30 rack. Okay. He goes to the Bengals, we celebrate by gifting Quinn a 30 rack if he doesn't go to the Bengals though Quinn what do we get that's a what do you guys want here? you know I don't know what we want Fifth we, we want a, we want a new thing of smelling salts that's we what do we want. we want a new thing of smelling salts actually we're almost out okay deal
deal. deal. All right. Deal. All right. Sure. This is back to Dylan Singer's question. If the Giants get a big name receiver in free agency, could it hurt to draft an offensive lineman at 11? Go for more weapons and get someone like Jalen Waddle, or go edge and grab Jalen Phillips. At 11 would be a bit rich. Also, in another scenario, do you think the Giants take Pitts at 11? We could trade Ingram in a 2022 second rounder for Stephon Gilmore. I don't know if Ingram's going to the Pats. I don't know if they run run that 13 personnel out there in New England now, but I do think Stephon Gilmore should be on the trade block, or at least should be making calls for Stephon Gilmore. I think the Patriots could be looking to move on from him. What is your opinion of what the Giants should do right now, given the moves they made in free agency at 11? Yeah, as as I've made it known, Pitts is not redundant to pretty much any tight end in the NFL. You want him on your roster. So if he is there at 11, great pick. I, I do think, so as much as these wide receiver and edge classes are deep, like, are you really going to wait to round two at a position like edge where they could be cooked by then? You might not have a guy you like, and especially with the Giants, they kind of have a unique skill set they look for uh, in their edge rushers. But even if they sign a wide receiver, even if you get a Kenny Galladay, I, I think you still want to go offense. You still want to give Daniel Jones that ideal situation to evaluate, but basically just as a franchise to evaluate him. Can he, with a good offensive line, with a good receiving core, lead an offense that can win you a Super Bowl? Because if not, if you get those guys, if you get those pieces around him, it doesn't. That makes your decision easy next offseason. Absolutely, you're going somewhere else at the quarterback. I mean, it's, try, it's kind of what the Broncos tried to do with Drew Locke, and they're still making excuses for him in some ways. But like Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, obviously, you know, Cortland Sutton got hurt, but like that's what you need to do yeah. with a young quarterback. You need to build around him offensively to see if he can actually put together a top ten, top five offense. Because if you don't have that. It's going to be very difficult for you to win a Super Bowl. You're going to have to have a lot of shit defensively. And then we've seen... Not only a lot of stuff defensively, but like defense, defense is regressed. Yeah, like it's very difficult. Look what the San Francisco 49ers had with Jimmy Garoppolo when we, they went to that Super Bowl. One of the best defenses we've seen really in the last 10, 15 years. The following season, injury regression hits. You lose you lose certain players. Like that is, it's very hard to be good on defense year over year because so many factors can happen. So many issues can happen. Yes. Coaching, I think, helps. Obviously, Bill Belichick has had a very good defense for a long time and has managed to be one of the better defensive coaches probably in NFL history, if not the best. He's the best. But you don't get to keep Bill Belichick all the time either. You lose defensive coordinators to head coaching jobs and all that stuff. So, all right, number uh, one. This is from Austin Gale's mom. Okay, my question is, what should be first-year expectations with Lawrence and Wilson? Should we expect Wilson to be starting right off the gate if he lands in New York? Absolutely. Yeah. Although I will say, if you, if they keep Darnold, if really there is no market for Darnold uh, for a trade, then have a competition. There's no there's no shame in that. I think that can improve the play of both to really get them both in there and let them go head to head. I don't think that's a bad situation to be in if you're the New York Jets. Trevor Lawrence, you should expect top twelve quarterback play right away. I will say, I, I would be very surprised if he is not. He's that good. Yeah. That's why you're drafting him number one overall. It's not because he might be the best quarterback in the NFL someday. He might be, but it's because how good he is right now should be top 12 quarterback in the NFL. This is from Moose Knuckle 28. I know that recently Robert Sala, I think it's Sala. You have to pronounce the emphasis is on the saw, not the law. It's Sala. Has run an increasing amount of four, three fronts (laughs) with athletic edge rushers in the wide, in wide nines. The interior defensive line is one, is one of the only good parts of this Jets team. So it makes sense to draft dudes that complement their current strengths. Jets have Quinn and Williams to penetrate the B gap and some other solid interior defensive linemen to push the pocket. So which edge in this year's draft would be the best fit to capitalize on the dudes they already have there? So Lawson's kind of your wide nine now. Yeah. And if you want another wide nine, like Aziz Ojolari, Ronnie Perkins are kind of that in that class. But I think you would want the more 
base end, the guy that can kind of kick inside. The Eric Armstead to your Nick Bosa, shall we say. And I think Carlos Basham's kind of that guy on, I think it'd be day two, second round, if you get him there. That'd be a, a good complimentary piece to a Carl Lawson. We didn't talk about either uh, Azizo Jolari's pro day. 34 and 3 8 inch arms, 84th percentile, 10 and a half inch hands, 95th percentile, Tough, 81st, 81st percentile in wingspan, 94th in broad, 90th in 40 yard dash. That guy put on a show at the Georgia Pro Day. So did um, the, the guard, Ben, I'm losing his last name. Ben Cleveland. Ben Cleveland. He put on a show as well. Did you see he's listed at six foot six, 364 or some shit? Yeah. That's like 99th percentile on guards. He is a monster, but built like. Yeah. Like, he's built like the mountain from. Game of Thrones. He really is. That's I mean, a great comp. Add that comp to the draft guide if he doesn't have a comp. Oh, I should, the mountain actually. from Game of Thrones is a great Easter. The day. mountain played for the Colts, I believe. Is that Could true? be a signing for I, the Raiders. I think he did. I think it was a Brock Lesnar situation where okay. it didn't really pan out. But I'm like pretty sure he played. I'll have to. I thought he wasn't even that. American. The mountain. That's like he's not. Like but I mean, what you're saying George. Americans can't play. Yeah, Marcus Hunt plays for the Bengals. He's from about? Estonia. Okay, you're saying non-Americans can't play American football. That's not what Sam I'm Monson played football. <laughs> yeah. So if you're saying the Mountain oh, he'll Sun couldn't yeah. play. All right. This is from Kioth S. I'm a Browns fan and know we need help at linebacker. Every mock draft puts one there. But would you rather have someone like Asante Samuel Jr. who can come in and make our secondary have a lot of young, talented depth with Ward, Greedy, Samuel Jr., Delpit, and whatever box safety we get in free agency? They got John Johnson. Nice pick by Keith there. Or would you rather pick a linebacker like Collins or a pass rusher in the first? I Can I start? Yeah. I don't think you should go linebacker. We talk about positional value a ton. I don't think linebacker at that spot makes a ton of sense for them. And I honestly don't think Asante Samuel Jr. is a great decision there. I'd honestly look at edge. Let's go get another edge defender. Let's pair him up with Miles Garrett. Yeah. Attack the positional value in this class. There's a ton of really talented edge defenders. You can get an Aziz Ojulari. You can get a Jalen Phillips. Maybe Gregory Russo. Go get some pass rush help. Because we just saw Trey Hendrickson, sorry Quinn, get $15 million per year. You know, $15 million per year on the open market. Mm -hmm. If you don't draft valuable pass rushers, if you don't go get these really talented pass rushers in the first round with that fifth-year option, you're going to end up having a needed edge somewhere down the road and paying either a shitload of money for Leonard Floyd, over $60 million per year for him, or even trying to like settle for a Trey Hendrickson at $15 million per year. I do think pass rusher makes sense for the Browns. I will say the one thing about Zayvon Collins, and I agree about pass rusher there, I'd push back on a lot of the off-ball linebackers. But Saving Collins kind of his own animal from a linebacker perspective of that. He's, you're not going to find his skill set elsewhere. It's like if you want that skill set, if that's something you want in your offense, you're just not going to find it in the second round, third round, fourth round. So Gotcha. All right. This is from Ryan Coensberg. Realistically, how long do you think it would take Trey Lance to be ready to start for the Broncos? Would they be better off drafting Mac Jones or trading up for Fields or Wilson? So they're at nine. They're apparently in the mix, or not in the mix, but Deshaun Watson wants to go to the Denver Broncos. I think they could look to make an upgrade at the quarterback position. I'd rather have Trey Lance than Mac Jones. I'd also, if Trey Lance falls to nine, I would I would do it, but I don't think he's going to. You saw Adam Schefter report that four quarterbacks could go in the top six. What is your opinion? Let's take this question this way. What is your opinion of going up from nine, paying what it takes to get maybe to the Falcons at four, and getting a Fields or Lance at that spot for the Denver Broncos. So the thing about Lance um, is not he's not raw in terms of his ability to operate an offense, his ability to like go through reads, his ability to – I mean, he was calling his own protections at North Dakota State uh, as a redshirt freshman. So that, that's not necessarily 
going to be the problem for him. It's his accuracy and the fact that he's still only 20 years old. Like you're dropping a 20-year-old into the NFL. I guess he'll be 21 by the time he's starting. But that's the bigger thing. Who hasn't played a ton of football? That you would like to kind of just get him in the building and let get him up to the speed of the game, jumping from North Dakota State to the NFL. So I, I don't think it's going to like more than one year. I, I, maybe even by the end of his first year, he could be ready to start. I just think that's more the biggest thing. It's not, oh, he has so far to go. Um, like so far, so much development to go. I really don't think it's that steep of a sort of curve for him and what he'll be asked to do at the NFL level. This is from Larballs. Do you need a degree to work at PFF or can someone who works hard and versatile and teachable have a stable career with the company? I'll start. I've hired a lot of people at PFF in the role that I have. The last thing I look for is a degree. The last thing. You know, and it's the bottom of the resume for a reason. The number one, you need, the number one thing you need to work at PFF are skills that apply to the job you're applying for. If you're applying to be a video editor, to be, you know, take Quinn's job, you better know the Adobe suite. Portfolio. You, yeah, you, you, better have, portfolio. you better have clips, you better have examples of videos that you've worked on. I don't care if you got a video editing degree from fucking Northwestern. Can't, let me see a video you've done. I'd like to see that. Is it good? No, it's not. All right, I'll see you later. Thanks for the degree though. I'm glad you paid for that or your parents did whatever. I don't think degrees matter as much as skill sets. So I do think when you're applying for a job at PFF, depending on what that job is, a bring skill sets to the table put skill sets on your resume i did a resume workshop with um university of cincinnati san diego state and colorado recently trying to do more volunteer work for colleges mm -hmm. and the number one thing i told people is on your resumes put skills if i'm hiring a video editor i need to see adobe i'll command f on a resume adobe and if it's not there i'll see you later have a good one if you haven't worked in adobe work in it tonight start tonight if you're looking for a video editor or a graphic design position whatever same with like do you have you worked in wordpress have you edited before how much time have you spent editing? Could be your own fucking site. As long as you've done something, I'm interested. Yeah, I did not get hired at PFF because I went to Notre Dame. Yeah. Now, no regrets about going to Notre Dame. But I got hired because I cheated on my uh, thing, the the uh, the trial participation trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get hired for my liberal studies degree from San Diego State. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I minored in journalism, journalism, but still. All right, this is from Mr. D Man Five Thousand. Two questions: Who are your favorite left tackle prospects for the Colts? Who are your favorite edge prospects for the Colts? The next one's Colts question, too. Oh, okay. This is from Blackout117. That <laughs> sounds like a weekend plan. I know Mike low-key loves offensive line tape. Hell yeah. Your guys have said this year is you guys have said this year is a deep offensive line class. I'm a Colts fan. So which of the offensive tackles this year do you think best fits our scheme? I think Christian Dersaw is your pipe dream there. That guy next to Quentin Nelson, you would love to see that. Love to see that double team combo. But again, pipe dream to fall at 21. You got teams like the Washington football team, Chicago Bears. Both need tackles, both right in front of you. And he's likely he's going to be the best tackle available after you know Slater and Sewell go top 12 or so. So I think that's a pipe dream. I will say Chris Ballard, I don't think this old dog's learning new tricks. I think he's going to trade back. Especially in this tackle will. class? I think he will. I think he's going to trade back. And if you trade back, I would love to see Walker Little then. That's who I would love to see next to Quentin Nelson at left tackle. If you're in the back end of the first, maybe early second, I don't know how far you're going to go back, but that's who I would love to see for that scheme. And then edge prospects for the Colts. Aziz. He's got some long-ass arms. I do like Aziz. I, I would love, I mean, I think Jalen Phillips to replace Justin Houston. That would be where I'd go. Because, again, you're a team that's kind of in a window where you're not really worried about where those concussions happen if it gets a few more in four years. It's like – 
nah, he was good for us now. That's what you want. Fair enough. I so, think the uh, I had this take when, when we were talking about the Las Vegas Raiders who still have needs along the offensive line. If you are looking to fill holes along the offensive line in the draft, I do think it's a very good position to trade back, you know, because after Panay Sewell or Sean Slater come off the board, Derisaw obviously is a very good offensive tackle prospect, the clear number three. But after that, I do think that, you know, there's the deviation a or the, yeah, there's a jumble of guys. And I think you're going to see a lot of different evaluations for the rest of the tackles yes. in this class. All right. This is from Jeff MCC. In my best guess, San Francisco either has to go offensive line and secondary in this draft to build around Jimmy or cut slash trade him and retool their next guy. What's the best path forward as far as QB and draft picks? Gamble on Trask or Newman a bit later? I'm going to start. No. (laughs) Interested to hear your best path forward. I'm going to start there. I do think their best case scenario is getting Deshaun Watson. Second best case scenario is going, getting aggressive and moving up for a quarterback, trying to get to number four. I really like the Atlanta Falcons as a trade-up spot now. You know, because or Miami Dolphins if they're interested, but I think the Miami Dolphins could lock into a Sewell or a Chase at three and just stay put. But if the Atlanta Falcons, that Matt Ryan restructure was big, like big for future mock drafts. They are like on the books with Matt Ryan for at least two, two years, more years, at yeah. least, and they could even go into 2023 with Matt Ryan. So you're not going to draft even if you like Trey Lance or Justin Fields. It doesn't make a ton of sense to do that when you know he's not even going to see the field for at least two seasons, mm-hmm. and it's going to be very difficult to trade Matt Ryan. All that stuff. I think going up and trying to get the Atlanta Falcons number four overall pick and getting a quarterback replacing Jimmy Garoppolo is the San Francisco 49ers best path forward. Yes. I've come on board to the, even if it's just Mac Jones, that that's where I'd go off of San Francisco 49ers. I'm just not going to roll into goddamn 2021 with Jimmy Garoppolo making over $20 million as my quarterback. That's just, there's no fucking chance I'm, would do that if I'm GM. For the and I think there might be a market for Jimmy G. I mean, the and Bears are going to start Andy Dalton next year. Like, I mean, there might be a market for Jimmy Garoppolo. I got bad news for you. They're going to start Andy Dalton next year. That is bad news. Absolutely bad news. All right. Uh, this is from Nikki's Furt. Is that a play on words? Nixie Furt? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, I, these guys are getting after me here. Before the college season, the cool thing to do was say that Fields you. was QB2. During and after the season, the cool take was saying Wilson was QB2. Now I'm starting to see it swing around to Fields. As a Jets fan, can you just tell me what to think? The cool thing to do is to formulate your own opinion based off of watching a guy play football. Wow. That's the cool thing to do. Wow. And then be open and then to no, different... Never listen to our podcast And be again. open to bit differing viewpoints and new info. That's the cool thing to do. That's what all the cool kids are doing. That's what I definitely, we say this a lot. I, we say this a lot, but don't be overconfident in your evaluation. I think look at Wilson, look at Fields, to other people's opinions. If I'm in the Jets front office, like look at other people's opinions, see how he'd fit in your offense, talk to your offense coordinator, all those things, and get the guy that best fits your team. Because I think Fields and Wilson are close enough to where you could see Fields go ahead of Wilson. Yes, you could. But I, I do think Wilson's, they're going to they're gonna see a guy. Now here's a guy, to okay. quote Chris Collinsworth. Love that. Now here's a guy that, Ran a similar scheme in the play action stuff, in the boot action, in the outside zone heavy that they did at BYU that they're going to do with Michael Fleur. It's a lot of the same stuff. And you, you're people like familiarity. There's a reason why the Patriots assign all the Dolphins players and the Dolphins assign all the Patriots players. People, people know what they know, and they're comfortable with that. You see a guy running what you're going to be running next year, you feel comfortable with that. And so I think that's why people are saying, oh, yeah, Fields or Wilson to the Jets. Some news to break here. Um, Patrick Chung has officially announced his retirement, and it, oh, it looks like it looks like Philip Lindsay is moving on from the Denver Broncos. And I only re- wanted to bring this up because I have a take. These are breaking news stories that you had. To I have to say this. I have with. to say this. Day two, no, day three, undrafted free agent running backs that have success get used worse than unpaid interns, man. Because Philip Lindsay runs for back to back thousand yard seasons. They pump the rock to him, 
and don't even reward him with a second contract. That is absolutely ridiculous. And I think again, pays the you know, pays to the narrative that like you don't need to invest highly at the position. You can get very productive players and have no long term commitment to them. I really do think that the NFL needs to restructure rookie this contracts. This is just a restricted. This is an RFA contract too. He's not. He, he wouldn't even be. He's only three years in. Yeah. He's not, like this is just tendering him, which is absurd. Yeah. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. All right. Either way, let's jump now to the next question. Oh, he had a second one. Who are the best edge rushers in the class that would fit Robert Salah? I don't know if I said that right. Salah. Defense that would likely be available at 23 or 24. Um, so, again, I, I I do think you in that 49ers defense, you got Carl Lawson on one side, and I think you want like a base type of end on the other side across from him. Um, going first round. I think those guys are Pay and Jalen Phillips. Those are your guys who are the – they can go head up on a tackle on a pinch if you need them to in this class. Maybe Gregory Rousseau, but I, I still worry about him playing out on the edge full-time. I still have question marks about that. All right, from fullbacks for the win. My question is, <clears throat> the 49ers seem interested in adding wide receiver depth with the wide receiver depth with the immediate need being a starting slot receiver. Bonus if they can improve our return game or if they can play outside as injury insurance for Debo or Ayuk. Assuming the 49ers address the immediate needs in the first two rounds, which names stick out to you around the third or fourth round picks? 102 to 117 overall. My leading candidates are Amari Rodgers, Jalen Darden, Shai Smith, but I'd love to hear names that you think would make sense in Shanahan's offense. So Fortnite's got like a little bit of a type going on at the wide receiver position. They like the yak guys. They got Debo. They got Ayuk. Jalen Hurd. Who are dynamic with the ball in their hand. And obviously Jalen Hurd, who didn't love the pick at a time, uh, hasn't been great for yeah. them comparatively. But that there's a reason that the good yak guys go early because you can identify the good yak guys fairly easily. But I think, uh, so guys who would fit that mold a little later on, Amari Rogers is a good shout out. I think they could be in the market for a little bit bigger yak guys with what they have already on that roster. Someone like a Sage Sherratt, someone like a Seth Williams, Sage Sherratt from Wake Forest, Seth Williams being from Auburn. Those two guys would be intriguing. I'll also throw in if they want a speed threat because Ayuk, Debo, four or five guys. They are not deep speed threats. If they want someone like that in that offense, maybe like an Amir Smith-Marset, who's also fairly dynamic after the catch himself. All righty. Moving to the white Michael Jordan. Why do you think uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Okuda's rookie season was so disappointing? Was it injury-related, scheme-related, or was he overdrafted? Seemed like as seemed like as close to a can't-miss cornerback prospect as you could get. I think there's two things here. One, Matt Patricia. Kind of just throw that out the window. Like, name a defensive player who who looked at their best in that Lions defense the past four years. I can't. Exactly. It just, it was bad. Not even trade When you're not putting a guy in a good position, or a position to succeed, you're going to have results like that. So that that's a big part of it. I think another one that kind of got swept under the rug was just the gauntlet of wide receivers he was facing. I think he had, like, Devontae Adams twice, DeAndre Hopkins, and he was, like, going – one-on-one one, one on one against those guys right out of the gate as a rookie. That's eye-opening. And, and, yeah, he got torched, but he didn't get much. Like I said, he was put in bad situations against elite NFL talent right out the gate. So I, I'll kind of forgive him for looking like ass cheeks. 
Jesus. Let's uh, let's stop. Uh, he had a second question. This is from also the white Michael Jordan. Let's stop this defense at seven nonsense. The Lions need to draft a quarterback. Goff isn't the answer. We can't let him play the Lions into a 10 to into the 10 20 no man's land i like that people are bringing that up a lot quarterback purgatory is real drafting in 10 to 20 sucks look at the washington football team they're gonna put it together with ryan fitzpatrick the bears would have andy dalton as their starter you know the patriots could play themselves into that situation yeah. do you think lance or fields will be there at seven or who and who would be better in anthony lynn's offense saying anthony lynn's offense hurt <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead i'm not sure you want to draft just for anthony lynn's offense i'll just say that fair the gate. I, you want to just draft talent wholesale I, I do like the idea. I do like the idea of going quarterbacks. I do think you'll be at least okay with Jared Goff. Like I don't think you're going to be the worst team in the NFL. Like that's going to be the Texans. So, I you will have to. I do think move up next year if you do want to get in on this quarterback class. So, and these guys don't come out every year. Four guys like that don't come out every year. So if one is on the board, I don't think one's going to be on the board at seven. Though is the other thing. I think you're going to have to make a little move to go get one. Um. I would probably lean that Lance is more likely at this point. Fair. All right. Jumping to Colin Backer. Do you think Big Dave, DJ Uangalele will be the greatest prospect of all time or one of the greatest prospects of all time? Rocket arm, athleticism, poise, solid reads for a freshman, if not the best ever. How does he compare to Trevor Lawrence? So to clarify, Big Dave is DJ's father. Yeah. DJ's father is going to be a soon friend of the pod. Yes. We're also going to tailgate with him at Clemson. And I, I'm telling you right now, we're going to develop a very long-term bond. Yeah. But we're going to be his agent someday. He's going to call me his son. Yeah. I, I, we, <laughs> we get that on the pod. If I get that fucking clip on the pod, I can retire. He's going to yeah. introduce me to Rihanna. He could. Definitely could. We need that. Quinn, don't let, does your girlfriend listen to this pod? Ease up, kid. <laughs> no. Ease up. <laughs> um, go ahead. Uh, what's your thoughts on uh, DJ Wong? I don't think he's going to be the best ever, but he does have a fucking cannon. Yeah, right? That sick. guy can sling it. Um, I talked to but, two Clemson wide receivers, I think, and the first thing they brought, I, I bring up um, DJ Wong a little yeah. bit, and they're like, he's going to throw a lot of go balls. I mean, this guy is going to throw deep a lot. He's yeah. got a monster hose. He really does. I mean, it is. It could be Jamarcus Russell level by the time he leaves campus there. I'll just say that he's not the athlete, though, that even Trevor Lawrence is. Like, I don't think he has that level of speed. I don't think he's going to be that big of a runner in your offense. So best prospect of all time. I still think Trevor Lawrence, what he did as true freshman, like how solid you feel about his game translating, is at least the best in the modern era. I don't now, know what his I don't, Heisman I didn't are. watch John Elway sling it back at Stanford or whoever you paint Manning at Tennessee. I was not young, old enough to see either of those with any sort of intelligent vision, but that's the best in my So I don't, I don't think he will, but hey, shit, shit can happen. I, I don't know what his Heisman odds are, but I kind of like it. I think he could have a pretty stellar 2021 college football season. All right, this is from Dylan J. Barker. Who's your dream NFL duo to face off against in a best of seven beard eye series, past or present? You have an answer, and then I'm going to go for him. So this is tough. I have two different teams here. One's one that like I think would be experienced beard eye players, and that would be Kyle Orton and Johnny Manziel. Oof, I think they got after it. Like I think they've played a bit. I don't know if Purdue's a big beard eye school, but, but Kyle Orton at least learned it at some point with how much he drinks. Johnny Manziel, same shit about Texas A&M. I don't know. Do you guys play down there? We got that at Texas A&M. Guy asked question. Let us know. But I think like just in terms of like pure beard eye talent, I think Joe Burrow and Tom Brady probably could run 
some shit. I think they what? got the hand-eye coordination. Tom Brady's probably trash at beard eye. You don't need like athleticism. You just need. Yeah. Did you see him chug that beer? I think he was on uh, like Kimmel or something. And I saw a picture of him literally playing he, beard eye once. Really? Also. Yeah. There was one out there. Yeah. Brady can slug him. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm, I'm like, I, like I would like throw Drew Brees in there in terms of like most accurate quarterbacks of all time, but thinking about Drew Brees like drinking a beer does just seems wrong. My you know? team is so okay. much better. My team, this okay, matchup is so much better. I want to physically dominate two of the biggest alphas in the NFL and talk shit to them in a game I could potentially win against them. I'm going Aaron Donald and DK Metcalf. And when they lose, I, don't, I hope they're not fucking good. And I'm going to just be like, I'm going to beat them 11-0 and laugh in their face. And it's like, I just did that to Aaron Donald and DK Metcalf. That's my move. Honorable mention, uh, Bryant McKinney. That dude's a partier. Oh, man. Bryant that McKinney, dude was a big-time partier. Dude, can you imagine seeing a die in Bryant McKinney's hand? Dude, that guy's got – I think big hands matter. He just could dunk it on you every yeah. time. Oh, man. That would be You're fun. We got to make these table. happen. Maybe DJ will play with us. Oh, who mm -hmm. knows? All right. Oh, I saw this recently on the Uangalele stuff. Apparently has a younger brother, freshman, got offer uh, from Ohio State, played defensive end. Defensive end, yeah. That could be a big – Pretty big hostage. Enormous. Uh, there was another quick question. Another here. question from Dylan J. Barker that's not beard eye related. If there is there a coach who is more consistently carried by his quarterback than Pete and Russ? I'm sure there are some. I'm forgetting, but he has to be up there. Hypothetically, if the Seahawks were to trade Russ, what kind of haul could they expect in return? Yeah, I, I do think some of Pete Carroll's genius is not just schematic. I think he holds together locker rooms well and is a like the the cult of personality is a real thing. Like he had a lot of guys that were now problem childs elsewhere and Michael Bennett and Earl Thomas and whatever that they all came together and they won a lot of football games. So I do think there's some of that that's still a big aspect of head coach in the NFL. But yeah, I do think he's been carrying on for at least the past three or four years. That was kind of like Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers there for a period of time. It was probably the closest modern corollary I could think of. Do you have a take on the haul they could get for Russell Wilson? Oh, and then haul they get for Russell Wilson. So the offer was three firsts, a third, and a, and two starters, apparently, which that's in the ballpark of what I would accept. Now, the thing is the three firsts are not going to be high firsts is the problem at that point. You got – and that was from the Bears. So that would have been pick 20 is the highest one. You're just, like, not getting a quarterback at that point. But that is a lot to rebuild the roster, especially if you're getting two stars on top of that that – I would have thought about that as a Seahawks team. If if I really do think Russ is not going to play for me, I, I would have accepted that offer, I will say. Now, it, it remains to be seen who else is going to be players. But, like, if Russ is saying, I only want to go to these teams, this is all I'm going to do, well, shit, you're kind of – he's got your nuts in your hand at that point. Man, you've been finishing some of these answers with just ridiculous <laughs> – just ridiculous dropping of um, – not great words. All right. This is from loop de loop 00977 If the Texans refuse to trade Deshaun Watson, what is the best way for him to cause maximum damage to the franchise? This guy's this guy's actually this guy woke up to his violence. Yeah. Okay. This guy's coming for blood. While sitting out the entire season would hurt them, would it be better served to play the first few games, get them to four or five wins, and then sit out the season when they have enough wins to keep them from getting a top quarterback? Oh my God, this guy wants so blood. Sabotage would be interesting. I, I think Deshaun Watson a little too much pride for it. My also idea. probably a better person than that. Sabotage would be ridiculous. My idea: secretly tape a conversation with Jack Easterby and ask his thoughts on gay marriage. That would be that is an interesting or trans thing. rights something in that along that line where you probably know what the answer is going to be. It's not going to be good, and it would not be good for PR. Man, all right. Moving to Chris Gorman ten. 
as a cheesehead, probably an also owner of the team, stakeholder, whatever you say all the time, I liked what I saw from Chris, shareholder. I liked what I saw from Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin last year. Jeez, this is a cheesehead. Is this Aaron Nagler? <laughs> but still, see, but still see off-ball linebacker as a weakness for this roster. Which prospect fits which prospects fit best with the scheme that new DC Joe Barry is bringing in? And which free agents could you see them going after they create some sort of cap space? Ooh, free agents, I, I don't I don't think they're going to go after free agents. The one I keep saying is Will Fuller. Just give me Will Fuller. I'll be happy. Give me my Notre Dame guy, and we can run it back. But I think a long athlete at the linebacker position is interesting, given obviously what that scheme asked them to do. A lot of they're going to have to come forward and make plays in space. It's a lot of what you're doing at the linebacker position at offense. Now, Martin and Barnes aren't terrible at it. Like, I don't think it's a pressing, pressing need in that scheme. They can get by with those two guys. If you saw the Rams get by with objectively some of the worst linebackers in the NFL and still in the league's number one defense. So it's possible. But if we're looking at day two, and the guy we talked about earlier, Jameen Davis, Jabril Cox, they're similar molds of linebackers. I like Cox better pause because he's just uh more polished in coverage i'll say at this point i think he'd be an interesting guy to add to the fold but both those guys if, if that's where you're going that's where i would go those guys who i think could actually be upgrades over chris barnes kamal, kamal martin if you're going lower down in the draft i wouldn't even think about it or i wouldn't even address it at this point at that point because i don't think you're necessarily going to do a much better job than barnes and martin could do all right, this is from Chocolate underscore Bar. You guys are awesome. I've been playing, paying a lot of attention to your podcast because of my Dynasty Fantasy Football League. He lists out his what his league is, <laughs> settings. The interviews have been super helpful. I left, I left extremely impressed by Rondale. Same. I'm picking fourth in this year's rookie draft, and I'm currently stuck between Devontae Smith, Javante Williams, and Kyle Pitts. I need help at every position, but I'm thinking I might reach for Pitts since tight ends is a .5 bonus. So much scarcity at tight end makes me think he could be the most valuable chess piece in the draft. I'm curious to get your thoughts on who I should pick. Obviously, so much depends on landing spot. And a lot of, can change after the combine and free agency. But at this point, assuming Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Jamar Chase are gone, who would you pick at four? Pitts. Because, <laughs> one, there's the there's the scarcity of the tight end position. You got Plus the .5 bonus. And the .5 bonus. But you got three guys. Like There's that big difference between the top tier and then any other guy after that. And then, two, it's because tight ends very much like running back and that when you draft them highly – you do it because you're going to utilize them in your offense. If you're drafting running back the first round, you're going to give them 300 carries. You know, if you draft a tight end early, you're going to justify it by pumping them targets or putting them in a position to succeed. Yeah. So he'll get his numbers wherever he goes because whoever does draft him in the top 10 is going to have a plan to utilize him. Um, I will say this. For fantasy leagues, I don't love the idea of giving a 0.5 bonus to tight end because it is one of those positions after the big three or the big I honestly four. don't know what that means. Okay, so all the positions in fantasy right, that can catch footballs, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, yeah, they all have equal points. When they get a reception, it's all the same points. Some leagues will give an extra .5 or an extra point bonus for a tight end reception because they're so rare. Ah. But I do think that because of the unpredict- unpredictability of the tight end position, like you can come out with your top 25 tight end rankings for fantasy right now, and I guarantee you, you won't even come close because... Very few targets for most tight ends in the NFL. Like outside of Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, there's a lot of unpredictability there, and then you factor in injuries. I don't think boosting tight ends because of 
the luck that comes with like kind of projecting tight ends. We are really just looking for a guy to score a touchdown makes a ton of sense. That's my fantasy take. Roast me in the comments. All right. This is from Al Burrito 97. Can't find a good burrito in Cincinnati. I'll tell you that while we love not true Quinn. I don't have your, I don't have time for this. Where's the, where's the best burrito? Best burrito in Cincinnati. Um, Chipotle. I like habaneros. I haven't been to habaneros. Really? Yeah. Okay. We should go. All right. While we all love first-round quarterbacks, which quarterbacks do you think will make a Dak Prescott, Derek Carr-type difference on day two or three? That would be sick if we knew that answer. I like that. Yeah. Uh, But go ahead and start there. I I think – I still think Kyle Trask. I think he could. I still – there's something to the leap he took and – like a lot of the things he does at the quarterback position in terms of like being able to manipulate pockets, being able to give his guys chances. I think that was part of his genius and part of the Florida genius this year. And like why Kyle Pitts's numbers were so good is because he knew that he had a guy that he could throw to even when covered. And he was throwing him open to a degree just as much as Kyle Pitts was coming down with these spectacular catches. That's something you're going to have to do at the NFL level. Now he's doesn't have the biggest arm, is not nearly as accurate as the top guys in this, in this class, like the Mac Jones, the Justin Fields, whatever. That's why he's not considered in that tier. But I do think that, like I said, some of the things he does in that regard are going to project well. And like Kellen Mond, I, I don't see him doing that nearly as much. Now, he didn't have as much talent, maybe, and that's part of it. Like when you have talent you can trust, you can do things like that. But I think I've already seen that from Kyle Trask. So I'm just intrigued by him, like I said, they're all interesting. He's the most interesting to me of the day, too, guys. He had a second question. This is from Burrito97. Oh. Also a longtime Colts fan. Do you think they should prioritize receiver with the Cats radius with their first-round pick? He said he's team Bateman or maybe fill the hole at tackle. I'm leaning tackle over receiver for the Colts. Yeah, they just... It's going to shake out with free agency. They're still going to make moves for agency. Don't... Don't they have fret, a lot of money left. Don't fret Colts fans yet. That is, Maybe they're making a move for Galladay. They are the second wave kings in free agency, just like they're the second round kings in the draft. They, they don't care about the blue chippers as much as they care about having a top-to-bottom solid roster. And so they will at some point go out and sign someone, and it would not surprise me at all if they signed a tackle. So. Aren't you also a second round king? I think you said something similar to that matter. No? What would I be a second round king? Never mind. All right, is going a- to Alex and Lily. Uh, Austin, do you need? Do I need to worry about my car? Absolutely. I live five to ten minutes from Antica. Oh wow, yeah, you do need to worry about your car. And I go through all their time. It's a Chevy Equinox. It's okay. She can get into it. I'll tell you that right now. My question: Who will be the quarterback for Washington next year? I'm in a super flex league and always looking for a quarterback stash. I apologize for the delay on this answer. But it's it, gonna be Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, it's gonna be Ryan Fitzpatrick. And so I, I think at one point I was saying, I, you know, it's hard to identify which teams like should go for the quarterback on day two because we're like, oh, you know, don't. Don't draft day two QBs. The hit rate's so low. I actually think the Washington football team should go quarterback on day two of this year's draft. I do. Okay. There you go. And you're going to go, what, who, that's the like team Trask I identified. or Mond? Yeah, Trask is in, the most interesting. All right. This is from TYTY42069. My question is about the Vikings. What do you think the Vikings' best option is at 14? Should they trade down and hopefully gain a second-round pick or stay put? If they do... They put, what are some of the top options? Oh, if they do stay put, what are some of the top options? I also, I'm a sophomore in high school, and my first game I had to play man coverage against Trey Lance's younger brother, and that kid is special. That's what I want on the pod. I want that guy. I want this guy on the pod. younger brother? I want Trey Lance's younger brother or the guy that had to guard him on the pod. I'm sorry. I need fun interviews for summer. All right. That doesn't sound that fun. I'll just say that. Shut up. Edge one, they're in a position where they could graft their top edge guy. And 
obviously a need for them and might even be more of a need with Daniil Hunter unhappy with how his contract has gone. So I, th- I think that's the best option is like identify the guy you like there and then just roll with it. Because I, I do think like we have Quiddy Pay as top guy being worthy of the 14th overall pick. I'm coming on board to the idea that Zizo Jolari would be worthy of the 14th overall pick too. There you go. All right. From Mike Renner, Stan. If last the top question th- here. Last question. I want a couple more. I want to push for a few more. That's the last question I prepped. Oh, that's the last question you prepped? All right. I didn't know we'd get through that many. I prepped a Dude, bunch. We're out here cruising. I'm going to yeah. scroll down. I might find another one we can get on the fly. This is from Mike Renner, Stan. If the top three receivers and Kyle Pitts are off the board in the top 10, Quiddy Pay would be a possible selection for the Giants at 11. How would you evaluate the fit in that defense? He seems like a more... Seems like more of your traditional 4-3 defensive end, whereas the Giants predominantly like to run a 3-4, often dropping their offensive outside linebackers into coverage. Yeah, so he definitely is more of a 4-3 defensive end. That was the role he played in Michigan. Now, I'm not putting it past him. He's an athletic freak of nature. But I, I just think it would be not playing to his strengths. Whereas a guy like Joseph Asai, who I think you get in the second round, Texas edge guy, that's a natural fit. That's what he does. That is... That's the role you want him in. So that's who I would be targeting. And I think the Giants may very well target on day two. All right, I have two more for you that don't need any prep. All right. First one is, I was curious how you guys feel about teams trying to trying to use later rounds to stockpile high upside skill players, like lottery tickets, right? For instance, Eskridge, Grimes, McKitty could all potentially be found in round six and seven. You just go look. Go back and look through some old drafts at the hit rates on the sixth and seventh round. I do not like that idea. I think the the draft gets to about 120, 125 players, and you're cooked. You really are scraping the bottom of the barrel if guys can contribute. And, and a lot of times in the sixth and seventh round, NFL teams themselves are purely identifying guys that they know can play on special teams. They have no hopes of that guy ever being a starter for them. They just know that if they put this guy on special teams, he will not be a liability. That's what teams are looking for in the sixth and seventh round. They are not, sometimes you'll draft these upside freak athletes, whatever, but more often than not, all they're looking for is a guy who can contribute on special teams at that point in the draft because it really, the talent does fall off a cliff at that point. Plus, I think there's two ways. It's like, hey, okay, I'm going to bet on this lottery ticket. Hopefully he pans out. He probably won't looking at data. But also what a lot of teams do, I've heard Nagy talk about this, you look for special teamers. Like you need to flesh out your roster with depth players that can actually put go on the football field. Didn't I just say that? You did. You did just say that. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. I was looking for more questions. Um, all right, this is the last one. If you're a betting man, would you take the over or under 2.5 how many times Austin name drops the interviews? In what, though? I don't know where I name drop them. 2.5 times at the bar in Cincinnati. Not a lot. I keep that to myself. In the podcast, I do bring up the interviews a decent amount. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure the the how many name drops people. Do you name drop? Do you bring up other people's names in interviews a lot that you've interviewed? That's, oh, I do actually. No, yeah. okay. I do that sometimes. But only if like they're like former teammates and stuff. Like, hey, I was talking to this guy mm. who also you played with. What do you think yeah, of that's that? That's a way of... Establishing I'm trying rapport. to build rapport, man. Come on, dude. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All right. The reason I wanted to do those two questions is because we just broke 100. We only have 96 questions left to get Woo! back up to speed. Back up to speed. Which up to speed is March 8th. Fifth, is it March 8th? I thought it was like March 15th. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. I'll take a look, but fuck. We're going to get closer. We also need to plan the International Mailbag Day because there are so many from Brazil, oh, Canada, yeah. the UK. 
Ireland. Like we got to go out there and, and make an international mailbag. Okay. It would have made sense for St. Patty's Day next week. We might do five podcasts next week. We have to do a double next week. At we least. have to do a double, at least a double. Uh, really appreciate everyone. Make sure you give feedback on who we should get guests in the summer um, and so forth. Make sure you leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts with your question to get on the mailbag list. Until next time, or no, not until next time, let's go ahead and jump to these interviews. UCF guys, Tay Gowan and Richie Grant. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is former UCF cornerback Tay Gowan and a PFF favorite, Tay. I have to say this. like We are very high on your game. I talk to my podcast co-host all the time, Mike, about you, man. It's like, why don't anybody else are high on Tay Gowan? They're just, they're just sleeping on you, dude. It's great to have you on the show, though. Thanks for having me, man. So let's go ahead and you know kind of address not necessarily the elephant in the room, but kind of the most pressing thing and, and talk about you know what went into that decision to opt out of the 2020 season, not play for UCF this past year, and, and all that's gone through since that decision. Yes, sir. So um, going into the 2020 season, I was ready. I was all in. Um, COVID hit, unexpected. Like nobody really knew what was going on. To me, I have a premature daughter who was born two months early at two pounds. And her health is more important than anything to me. Um, going to school, um, I was one of the first guys to come back to campus because I'm in the first group. I was a starter. So I was came back. I was ready to work. I'm working. I'm working. I get COVID around my daughter and around my girl. We leave campus. I go home. I give it to my mom. She ended up being hospitalized. And I give it to my family. So it really put me in a, a bad situation or just a state of mind frame, like, dang, I really, I'm really getting all these people sick and something could happen. I don't know what COVID is. I don't know what's going on. And I just didn't want to put nobody's life at harm anymore. And I just wanted to be safe. So I'm, I made a tough decision. I cried about my decision because I've been playing football since I was five years old. This is what I do. This is my life. And it really hurt me not to play and be out there with my teammates. But I also made the decision just to protect my daughter. And I've been with her ever since. And, it, and I don't think anyone should knock you for that, man. I mean, that had to have been a very, very difficult decision. And I think personally, I mean, you can let other people say what they want, that you made the right fucking decision because that is too – it's too crazy, man. It, no one knew what COVID-19 was at the time. Obviously, having a premature daughter and putting her at risk, I think you made the right decision. And uh, I respect you for it, man, because I know that wasn't easy. And especially with, you know, all the – you know, from a financial standpoint, all the money that's on the line as you're entering the draft and all that stuff to make that decision and prioritize your family and prioritize your daughter, I applaud that effort dude you uh you went through it man so definitely mm-hmm. i appreciate you sharing that story man and i appreciate you getting emotional because it's uh it's tough man people who are on the outside looking in looking at it simply as he didn't play last year but it, it is so much deeper than that there's so much more context to that um to try and get the conversation you know get the conversation a little bit more on you know football and, and, and avoiding some of that stuff i'd love to talk more about kind of that decision initially to transfer from the miami ohio or not, not miami ohio sorry transfer because you originally went to Miami, Ohio, and then you transferred to Butler, and then went uh-huh. to UCF. So you've kind of had uh-huh. a very rocky, you know, road to get to UCF. Talk to me through, you know, that those first three games at Miami, and then making that decision to go to Butler, and then obviously your 2019 season at UCF. How how crazy was that? Different coaches, different teammates. Obviously, had to have affected your development and all those things. How how insane has your college career been, even before opting out of the 2020 season? Right. My college career has been, a, I would call it a rocky road, um, but I thank God for every step of the way and all the trials and tribulations I've been through. So me um, committing to Miami, Ohio was based on them being my first school to offer me. So I'm big on loyalty. So I really shut my recruitment down. 
Um, I think I could have had like 10 to 15 plus offers out of high school, but I really shut my recruitment down. I stuck with Miami Ohio because they believed in me. Um, so when I got there, I really, I had surgery on my right shoulder. So I didn't really, that was the reason, a real reason I didn't, I wasn't supposed to red shirt anything. I was supposed to come in and play right away. Um, I ended up fixing my shoulder for um, almost two years because I had to get my shoulder right. So it's stronger than ever now. So um, me staying there two years, I was like, you know what? I want to bet on myself. All my life I've been betting on myself. So I, I was like, I'm going to bet on myself. I could stay here and play and finish my years. But no, you know what? I want to take my talent to another level and see what I can do. I want to bet on myself. I want to go play football and just try to try to try to get these offers again and see what see what can happen. So that's the ultimate decision. I decided to go to Butler, one of the hardest JUCOs to play at, toughest conference. I wasn't I wasn't going to no soft JUCO. I was going to the hardest of the hardest, in my opinion. Um, I went to Butler, sold out. I ended up with six picks. If anybody go look at my JUCO tape, it's phenomenal. Um, I should have had big SEC offers, but it is what it is. God, God is in control ultimately. Um, I committed to UCF. They believed in me. I took one visit, and that's all I had to take. I love the family. They, they based on family, and I was all locked in. And it's closer to Georgia, so I didn't really want to be far away from Georgia again. My mom, so she can make my games and stuff. So that was my ultimate decision. I wanted to stay home, and UCF believed in me. Once again, and I believe in them, and I know they were coming off phenomenal years. So I want to, I want to go to a winning team and show that I can ball. It sounds like you obviously have a really strong relationship with your family and your daughter. Would you say like that's the primary motivation of you kind of continuing to push through and and do go through all the sacrifice that you have for football? You know, I I talk to a lot of prospects, and something I always ask them is what their motivation is and what their why is to play this game at such a you know such a high level and pursue the NFL. Would you say family is driving that for you? Yes, sir. I'm I'm a family man. I have a small family. I added my daughter to my family. I'm a real small family man, and that's what I've been based on. If you, anybody looked into my story, um, we've been homeless. Me and my family been homeless since fifth grade, and it's been real hard. Like, like my whole life been real hard. So I'm a fighter. Any team want to know I'm a fighter, man. I'm not no person that just don't want to play football. I'm a fighter. I fight through everything. I always had a 3.5. Never let anything circumstance hurt my situation and yeah i'm still fighting to this day even what's going on so my daughter's my heart that's my soul right there going back to your 2019 season graded really well for pff and really stood out in your first you know kind of first full season with with an fbs program and i think walk me through some of the preparation what you went through in a given game week how you prepared for an opponent what did you look for with a receiver on film what were you working on in practice in the game leading up to that i would love to know kind of what a what a given game week looks like for you in terms of preparation okay going through a game week you know monday is a big film day coach martinez put the um the top receivers on the board so i can visualize their face um height weight um we go through releases we do we practice releases on the field. We, I, I visualize the releases they do and the top routes they do going through that whole week. Um, we do a lot of reps at practice to identify like what kind of situations they're gonna do, like whether it's third and long, second, second and short, or whatever. Um, and mostly I review the most targets they like, the most routes, their favorite routes they like to run. So that helped my game out a lot because I'm already knowing what type of route or um, what type of player you're gonna run. So. I'm going to beat you to your route. And I'm real fast, so you're not going to get away from me. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like, you know, something that you know PFF really loves about your game. I think it's obviously size, length, but you have like legitimate speed. Like you are a legitimate, like one of the faster corners in this class. Do you feel like that is what separates you among the other cornerbacks? Obviously, PFF is like a you know scouting you in some ways and sees that as your strength. But I'd love to hear what you think your strengths are in this class. Yes, sir. I think um, speed is one of my biggest strengths, um, and being able to um, have real good ball skills. I think that's one of my other biggest traits. And I can move at my size. Like I'm not no stiff player. If anybody go watch me, I'm not a stiff player. I can move at my size, and it's it's really exciting to watch me play. And I think that's why, when, like more teams was kind of like kind of sleeping on me because they want to see more of me. But I have I have a lot to give, and I and I want I want to show that. What what positions did you play in high school? Did you play more than just cornerback? I played a little nickel. I could play a little nickel too. You can put me anywhere in the secondary, actually. Um, but yeah, I think corner is my spot though, because I can shut down that whole side of the field. I promise you. You, you played with a lot of <laughs> you played with a lot of talented cornerback prospects too at UCF. Talk to me about that experience. A lot of really, you know, a lot of dogs playing for the UCF oh, yeah. Knights in the secondary. If anybody go back to that 2019 state. 2019 tape. I played with I played with some of the best secondary that I ever played with. Richie Grant, A. Rock, a- Antoine Collin, Lavelle Clark. We're a real brotherhood, and that's one of the strongest units I played with. So it wasn't no op- It wasn't no option for me not to give my best because I know these guys are gonna give their best. And they pushed me um, like got like guys like Richie Grant. He's one of the leaders on the team. Make sure I was in the film. Make sure I was doing the right things, and I'm I'm very appreciative of him and A. Rob too. But more Richie Grant for me. And and watching, you know, since in the offseason and, and probably watching tape on yourself or NFL guys, what have you been looking for on tape since kind of, you know, uh, moving on from football and and moving on from UCF, really? What are you watching on tape? Are you watching tape of yourself, tape of NFL guys? What has your film study been of late? My film study has been lately has been me, what I can improve on. Obviously, I've been watching some um, NFL receivers. But I, I don't know where I'm getting drafted or I just leave that as God. So I don't want to watch too many receivers that I'm not going to play against. So um, I watch some of the top guys like Hopkins, uh, Julio, because I know that'll be a big matchup for me and I want to hold my own. But, yeah, more more like what can I fix going into my rookie year so I can improve my game and make and, it stronger. And so I know you're in Fort Lauderdale. Are you out there training for your upcoming pro day? Yes, sir. April 1st. Nice man, man. What, what? I know you're probably working on every single drill. You obviously want to have success in all of those drills. Are there any specific drills though that you're kind of putting two circles around in your notes, saying you really got to hit on these drills or any of those things? I think for me, it's gonna be the forty. Even though I'm a fast guy, I just want to. I really want to show like I can run for real. So it's the forty for me. And, and what weight did you play at that 2019 season? And are you working to a certain weight now as you kind of prepare for the pro day? I played at 185. Uh, I want to weigh in at 188, 189. I talked to some teams. They don't want me that heavy because they want to see me see me run and stuff. But uh, I'm a, I'm a weigh 180, 188, 189. I probably touch 190, but I'm gonna see how I feel running with that. I'm sure you've watched some tape too on some NFL corners. Are there any guys in the NFL right now that you pattern your game off of? I love Ramsey. I love Ramsey. That's my guy. Like I want to add, I want to add some of his tools to my game, like the way he come up and tackle and. But I, I love his game. I love his game. Yeah, Ram, Ram, Ramsey, too, is a trash talker, man. I'd love to know because I think, you know, for cornerbacks, receivers, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting part of the game where you kind of get into the mental side. Are you much of a talker on the football field or you kind of let your play kind of stand up for itself? Yeah, I don't I don't talk. I don't talk. 
that's one of that's some of the guys like, why you have to say that? I don't got nothing to say. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just show you. Sometimes there's nothing <laughs> to say. <laughs> well, well, that's all I had for you, man. I really appreciate you setting aside the time and really opening up about you know why you opted out of this season. I think it's an unto- an undertold story and a big reason why people aren't you know people are sleeping on you right now. But I wish you the best of luck moving forward, and I wish you the best of luck at your pro day. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking your time out to interview me, man. It's a blessing, man. Thank you. Of course, man. Absolutely. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is former UCF safety defensive back Richie Grant. Also stand out at the Senior Bowl, man. I don't think no one was being talked about more than you at Senior Maybe that Wisconsin Whitewater offensive lineman, Quinn Miners. But you had quite the Senior Bowl, man. That's when really a lot of people started to take to your game. How have you been, man? I've been real good, man. It's definitely been, been real good since that Senior Bowl. Yeah, you're out there in Pensacola. You just showed me the view. I'm, I'm definitely upset about it. Cincinnati, there's no beaches in Cincinnati. We've come to that conclusion. Um, but I'd love to hear about, you know, the work that you're doing in Pensacola and, uh, you know, w- working at Exos, how that preparation has gone for you so far. It's been good. I've been out here with a lot of talented players. Um, some of the, like, a lot of us actually went to the Senior Bowl together. So uh, just just getting to know those guys before we went to the Senior Bowl was good. But um, they out here pushing me, man, to get better. And the staff out here, they're doing a real good job. Um, not just on the, the working outside, but the recovery side as well. So we're getting it all the way around here. So who who you been working out with the most down there? Um, so skills group guys like Nico Collins, Tutu Atwell, Jalen Waddle, uh, Hems and Nazardine, um, DJ Daniel, uh, Amir Marset Smith. It, it's a lot of it's a lot of skill guys down here, you know. And then it's it's three groups, so it's it's even more guys, you know, that big names you heard of and stuff like that. But we all pushing each other getting better. You know, obviously down there training kind of for every drill they're going to throw at you at your pro day. But are there any drills specifically that you're really prioritizing in your preparation, ones that you feel like you need to set high goals for and really, you know, blow about the water when your pro day does come up? Uh, personally, you know, it's going, to be, it's going to be about speed. It's going to be about speed. <laughs> it's always you know? about speed, man. It's yeah, the NFL, it's unfortunately. Feel, like, personally, like, it's going to be about speed. So I make sure uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing everything I need to do in that aspect of it. Let's talk more about you know your senior bowl because I think you showed a lot there in the one on one specifically you know working against some tight ends running backs also played some outside corner there when you had the opportunity to do so do you feel like you know you came out of the senior bowl based off the feedback you got from coaches talking to scouts around the league I heard there was some like a fifteen minute speed dating session with a ton of teams down there on Zoom like how how did that whole week go for you and what kind of major takeaways did you have coming out of the senior bowl. Senior Bowl week, man. That's probably one of the most blessed weeks I've had in my career, man. Because, uh, you know, the player that I am, you know, being around the ball, turnovers, leader, all those all those qualities that, you know, I have in myself, I got to put that on display against top-notch competition. So for me to go out there, you know, compete the way I did, it definitely put my name back out there in the ring with a lot of guys. And, um, you know, it was a tough week. We got coached really hard, a lot of meetings going on, you know, guys tired. But it, it that was on purpose. It was all about who's going to, you know, come out here and keep pushing each day. And uh, I, I definitely one of those guys. Was there any feedback specifically you got from whether it was the coaches there at the Senior Bowl or people you talked to on Zoom from NFL teams that you really, you know, took with you and want to, like, improve on necessarily? Or even positive feedback, like, hey, we really like this about your game and that's something that you kind of want to highlight or put an exclamation point behind? Versatility. Making sure I stay versatile, um, not just being locked in one position. Um, my my body type and the way I play the game can be used in a lot of a lot of different spots. So just make sure I stay versatile and you know not get locked in one thing. 
you know, that's where I really wanted the, the, the conversation to go to as well, because something that I see is like a huge strength of yours in this class is your versatility, ability to play deep safety in the box, slot corner, even outside corner. You saw some of that at the senior bowl. And when you look at some of the best safeties in the NFL, you know, you can't name the best safety in the NFL without naming versatility. And those are guys like Tyron Matthew, Jamal Adams, these guys that can do it all. How do you feel like you get better or do you feel like that versatility is what separates you in this safety class? Or what do you feel like your key or notable strength is? Is in the safety class most definitely my versatility separates um to be honest the way i've been coached at ucl these past four years i didn't realize how big of a deal that was you know being able to be in multiple spots but coming out in the draft class you see like some guys can't do that you know some guys ain't able to switch switch it and still be productive in, in each every spot but i was able to do that in different spots you know and i you look at the stats man i've been doing it all so definitely got a high production rate um while I was still being versatile. So I'm definitely getting a notch on that. What do you think it takes to kind of be a very versatile safety? Because on the outside looking in, it's obviously athleticism. Like you can't be stiff. You have to have you know loose mm-hmm. hips, change of direction, those things. But also I'm sure a lot of that is like preparation and I you know football IQ. Like you can't play multiple positions on defense without really understanding principle, you know, schematic principles and those types of things. What do you think is most important to being a versatile safety and like what all goes into being able to play so many different positions so well? No playbook, no PT. Just put it like that. If you don't know that playbook, you ain't getting on that, on that field. You're not going to be able to play multiple spots. So me knowing the playbook, like the back of my hand, like my right hand, you know, I was just, wherever I was plugged in, I know what to do. You know, I don't need I don't need too much communication. Um, I know splits. I know formations. Just my IQ for the game. So just being in different spots, knowing what to do, that's the most important part. Like, if you know what to do, that's half the battle right there. And then, like, you hit on, you know, having the fluid hips, being able to, you know, uh, have a little speed and, and transition and stuff like that. No playbook, no PT. I freaking love that. I, I'd love to hear more about kind of what went into a given game week for you from a preparation perspective. You know, what when you are turning on the film, what are you looking for at, from an opposing offense or opposing receivers or whatever it may be? What are you looking for on film as you kind of prepare for an upcoming opponent? Um, what I learned through my two staffs uh, kind of put – kind of mesh them together um, so I can get the most out of it. But uh, so a typical, typical week would be like if we played on Saturday, I watch that entire game no matter what time it is. Um, Sunday, come back. Sunday night, I mean, Sunday, we go in, get our grades. So I look at all the film again, looking at all the negative things that I might have did, something I could have proved on. Monday, we get our game plan. So I go in there, I watch a game or two of the opponent, see what it looks like, see what how the game plan to stack up against it. Tuesday, we go in, that's first and second down day. All first, second down. Wednesday is all third down day. Maybe a little red zone. Thursday is all red zone day, but that's the day where I look for little things. Um, I learned from this last coaching staff, Coach Martinez, Coach Shannon, Coach Bill, those guys. Um, finding, little, finding little tricks and not just like a receiver coming out. Like if a receiver is in a boundary, he's never in a boundary. Or if a, a tackle has his foot spread out wide, his pass. Those little things right there help you play faster. So that's stuff I look for. And then on Friday, you know, I just hang out in the hotel with my guys. And Saturday, you play again. I definitely don't think people bring up enough, you know, knowing, you know, one, knowing your role, knowing the playbook, play, no playbook, no PT, but also knowing 
you know, opponent splits and opponent tendencies helps you play faster because you're not thinking on the football field. And when you're yeah. reacting on the football field, you know, a four five guy becomes a four four guy because he's able to kind of move quickly in those things. I think that's very interesting. How has that film preparation changed in the offseason? Are you watching more film on yourself, kind of critiquing yourself, or watching a ton of film on NFL guys, looking at guys who are already doing it at a high level in the NFL to kind of pattern your game after? So I didn't too much I didn't too much watch um a lot on myself. Cause I've been focusing more on the training side, but I definitely coming out of the season, you know, finding little things I can get better at because you know, the next level is going to be more challenging. Guys, it's going to be more demanding out there on you. So making sure all your weaknesses, you know, are the part you're able to compete out there. So I ain't spent too much time on that, but I definitely know things that can get better and stuff like that. Um, I love watching NFL. I love watching DB, you know, you name some of them, Eddie Jackson, Minka, Kevin Byer, um, Malcolm Jenkins. Like, I love watching guys like that. I kind of imitate myself, or that's who, I, that's who I think I, you know, play as. So watching guys like that, trying to get little tips from them. You know, another UCF defensive back that had a really good senior bowl week was Aaron Robinson, who I think the first mm-hmm. thing that came out of everyone's mouths or everyone's tweets was just how physical the guy was. Because he's not like a bigger cornerback prospect, but just shows up at the line of scrimmage every single play looking for a dogfight. And I think you saw that from Aaron Robinson. Is he that same guy off the field? Is he that same guy in the huddle? Because I feel like that physicality, that tone setting presence is really what stands out with Aaron Robinson. Man, off the field, A Rod was one of the most chill dude. Man, that's my brother, man. Like ever since he got UCF, um, he turns from them, been my brother, man, since day one. Like off the field, though, he really so chill, man. Like just vibing, just doing what he want, whatever. On the field, though, it's a it's an animal out there. He just let it loose, I guess, you know. Like he playing fast, he competing every snap. Like he been he been slot corner for two years in a row. He been dominate for two years in a row. Like everybody got got his respect, and I definitely he definitely got his uh, respect from me. Another, you know, former transfer and a guy you played with in 2019 that opted out of 2020 due to COVID-19 concerns was Tay Gowan. And he was a guy that I talked to recently that honestly came away really, really impressed with what, you know, why he opted out, like his background, his story, all that stuff is really, really incredible in terms of like the sacrifice he's gone through to get to where he is now. I'd love to hear more about that season you played with Tay Gowan and the type of player he is. Tay was exactly what we needed. I mean, Perfect timing. I mean, uh, Brandon Moore was a starting guy. Um, he went down first game, and, you know, Tay Gowan got in there and then missed a beat. You know, exactly what we needed from him, he did, and more. Uh, he was a playmaker. You know, he had a low completion percentage. Just all the things that we needed at that time, like, he did that and more. Um, like, out the field, like, my brother, man, just that whole secondary, they all my brothers. But, um, you know, this guy, he been through a lot, you know, and I was there for him, you know, kind of being a big brother to him. So I got to hear a lot of things he went through and I'm just trying to keep his head focused, you know, because um, just let him know, like, use his story, man. Like, this is this is your testimony. So use this and the gifts that God gave you and go out here and ball. You know, a lot of people looking up to you, they see where you came from and uh, just let that be your testimony, really. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of reason to be motivated. You know, I talked to a lot of prospects and asked them, you know, what's their motivation? What's their why to kind of make the sacrifices they do to play this game and pursue the NFL? And dude's got a lot of why, man. He's got a lot of motivation. He's got a family that's really rooting for him and all those things. I'd love to hear your answer to that question, though, Richie. And we can close with this one. What is your motivation to kind of, you know, go through this training in Pensacola, continue to try and, you know, pursue an NFL career, make the sacrifices you need to make to play this game at a high level? First and foremost, my family. Um, I know you probably hear from a lot of guys, but man, 
I was raised by a lot of women. You know, it wasn't too many men around, and they got the job done. Like, you know, the way I the way I carry myself, um, how I compete out there on the field, just never giving up, competing every play. Uh, I learned that from the women in my life. You know, they don't they don't they don't take excuses. Like, they're gonna give you everything they got, and and, and then some. So definitely my family. You know, I'm trying to pay them back of all the sacrifice they made for me. Three jobs, you know, not being able to be at home all the time with me, missing games, stuff like that. I'll be able to pay that forward. Um, and then the second part, man, I think growing up, I was that kid that got told I could do it. You know, I was a kid, like everybody believed in, like, you're going to make it, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. And I feel like it was too many kids that didn't get to hear that. So me being able to be that light for kids like that, you know, because all it takes is to see somebody see somebody do it and know that you you got the ability to do it too. So um, just being that light, letting, letting these little kids know, like, bro, anybody can do it. You can do it. Just pick up the pen, pick up the cleats, whatever, whatever is your calling, pick it up and just do it. And then whatever, whatever is in your way, get past. That's fantastic, man. This has been great. I really appreciate you setting aside the time and um, best of luck moving forward in the NFL. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's officially going to do it for this episode of two for one drafts. Make sure you leave a five-star review, Apple podcasts, all of that good stuff until next time. Producer Mike Quinn, producer Dave, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts. 